Once you've done it once or twice, right? In those early years, like age 17, early 20s, my starting my career in my early 20s, you're forming who you are, your personality, and trusting who you are as a person and knowing that you can break the mold and it's it's okay. And I didn't have the fear of judgment. I mean, I didn't want to be judged negatively. Mm -hmm. Nobody mm -hmm. ever does. But the drive in me was stronger than the fear. I'm Art Blanchford, and this is Life in Transition, a podcast about making the most of the changes we're given. As a married father of three teenagers, a longtime global business executive and adventurer, I've been through hundreds of transitions in my life. Many have been difficult, but all have led to a depth and richness I could never have imagined. You'll get to hear all about them on this podcast so that together, we can create more love and joy in our lives, no matter what transitions we are going through. So welcome back to another episode of Life in Transition podcast. I'm really excited to have my friend Jan Griffiths with us here today. She is really inspiring to me because of her passion for bringing authentic leadership into the automotive industry, which is something I've spent so much time. But she's so much more than that. So let me read you a couple things so you get to know her a little bit. Before we get started, she's a founder in that role. She's founder of Gravitas Detroit. She's the architect of cultural change in the industry, as I mentioned, really driving toward authentic leadership and bringing her passion and her energy to that. Keynote speaker, soon to be published author, podcast host of a very good podcast called Automotive Leadership with Gravitas Detroit. And it's very good, very interesting guest. Mother of a 21-year-old fashionista daughter. I love that description. You know, lover of oat milk lattes and early morning coffees and good conversations. And I can vouch for that because I've already had a lot of good conversations with Jan. I'm looking forward to another great one today. Passionate about our young minds entering the industry and the automotive industry, but industry as a whole. Leader of the daily and weekday accountability lab, avid walker, particularly on the paths of the coastal whales. And we'll learn a little bit more about that too. She's interesting. She's not just your normal American here on the line with me. We'll learn a bit more about that today. Leader of Global Whales USA Hub, connecting the diaspora in the U.S. to benefit Welsh business and elevate whales on the global stage. And she's had some very great conversations on that and, and doing some great service for your home country there, I would say, as well. And then last but not least, also 35 years of experience in the automotive industry, purchasing and supply chain and manufacturing, uh, culminating as a global VP of supply chain for a $3 billion plus dollar tier one. And being recognized in that role as a top 100 women leading the automotive industry. So many things and many roles. And I love that fairly complete picture of you, Jan, and hearty welcome to the Life in Transition podcast. So glad that you're here. Thank you, Art. It is so great to be here. Thank you. So I'm going to jump right in. Like question that I ask all my guests in the beginning is, what do you think out of all those things? And obviously, there's been lots of transitions. What do you think is the most impactful, the most meaningful? the transition that you've had in your life that you've learned the most from, maybe it's the most difficult, but what is a transition that comes to mind that you would really like to dig into that you think has had a huge impact on your life? I think we have to go way back, Art, to the very beginning. I grew up on a farm in Wales, as you know, very small community. I come from a long line of farmers. I was supposed to marry the farmer next door, but I didn't want to do that. Besides, he wasn't very cute anyway, but I just didn't want <laughs> There was certainly an expectation that I would either stay in farming or stay local, mm -hmm. certainly stay local. 
Right. And not, uh, we have a saying in Wales, I don't know if this translates into the U.S., but, oh, don't get ahead of your skis. You know, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. think that you can do more than what you actually are, right? right. Stay in your lane. There's this mold, okay? And the yeah. Welsh people, We say in U.S. Whole, for that, don't get too big for your britches. Yeah, same thing. Exactly. Yes. And there's a lot of that in the Welsh culture, because as you know, part of my role is to lead the global Welsh in the U.S. And there's this, oh, you know, I don't know if we want to go global with our business. You know, we'll just stay here. We're good. You know, it's all okay. I'll just stay in my comfort zone. And I was expected to stay in my local town, maybe, maybe move to Cardiff, which was the big city, right? And Art, as I was growing up, there was something in me that was just dying to just come out, you know, all this energy. And it was like, I want to take on the world. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to fit this mold that somebody else has determined is the right thing for me. I felt like I was capable of experiencing more, of impacting more. And so I did. And that was the very first transition from me and this idea of breaking the mold. You'll see consistently throughout my life. But that was the first time when I sort of broke free. So I want to start in the beginning of that conversation, even Jan, you said somehow I had this. And I want to know, what do you call that? That came up in you. You said somehow this wasn't meant for me. And I knew this at this early age, like I wanted something different. How did you know that? How did you tap into that? desire, if you will. How did you know? Because I think that's a big thing for a lot of people. You know, we never even get there. So how did you know at such a young age that you wanted to do something different? I felt it in me. I wish I could articulate it better, Art. I I can't. It was like a drive. Mm -hmm. It was this need to do more, to see more, to be more. I just felt it. And instead of crushing it, Mm -hmm. which I think perhaps we do, you Mm -hmm. know, and that starts at a very early age. Mm -hmm. Instead of crushing it and looking to conform, I looked to nurture it and help it flourish. And I wish I could articulate that in a better way. It was simply a feeling and and it took a hold of me. If you think about that, because it's something I study a lot, you know, the feelings or impulses. But if we dig a little bit deeper, normally we can see if you had to put a direction on the energy, was it an energy that was expanding? Was it contracting? Was it going up? Was it going down? What's the feeling if you take yourself back into that moment? What was the sensation? Yes, it's something you're feeling. Normally, our feelings are in our body. So where was it in your body? What direction was it going? Was it contracting? Was it expanding? What is the sense that you had about that? You mentioned you didn't push it down, which makes me think maybe it was coming up. If you were trying to push it down, I don't know. It's very observant. Yes, it's interesting. You know, you don't realize sometimes the words that are coming out of your mouth until you're talking to somebody like you can pick up on that, right? It was deep in my soul, so I have to say it was at heart. It was at Mm -hmm. the heart. It was at the center of me, and I felt it rising. I felt this Mm -hmm. energy rising and expanding. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I couldn't get enough of life, of experience, Ah. of the world, and I wanted more and more and more. And I started working for Borg Warner, which, as you know, is an American, you know, tier one auto supplier. And then it was, oh, my gosh, what is this? We make transmissions. What's a transmission? What does it do? What's a casting? What's a blueprint? What's an engineer? What's a product engineer? What's a quality engineer? Oh, my God, what's next? What's next? (laughs) So you had this curiosity, this strong curiosity, this desire for life, this desire for experience. You had this expanding, uprising energy coming from your heart that when you followed it, it seemed to expand and grow more. 
and felt really good when you followed it. Yes. I want to commend you for following it because it's difficult to even know what that is, to tune into ourselves, to not push things down, to not suppress so much, to even know what it is. But then there's another step of overcoming the fear to follow it. So I really commend you for doing that. And you mentioned your expectation was you're marry the farmer next door, at least stay local. What other expectations, what other shoulds did you feel you had that were maybe put on you by the community that you raised and by your family? What other shoulds did you feel like you had to shake off in order to follow your dream, your adventure, your drive? I think that as I look around me, because you look to your friend group, the people around you, and I looked at the people I worked with. And remember, Art, this is in the early 80s, right? right? And as a young woman in the workplace, I was expected to make the coffee, take the meeting notes, (laughs) and send the telex. Right. Yeah. So your young listeners will have to look that up. You have to Google Telex. (laughs) And that was the expectation. Now, I will give tons and tons of credit to the leader of that Borgwana group at the time. His name is Paul Humphreys. He later went on to do tremendous things with Flex. But Paul provided that environment where I could nurture and nourish that drive in me. And he gave me the opportunity for it to grow. And that was my first taste. I didn't know it at the time that it was authentic leadership and great leadership. I didn't know. Being modeled by Paul. Being modeled by Paul, but I didn't know that. I was young. I thought that everybody was like that. Every boss was like that. I learned that's not (laughs) the case. (laughs) So before we go down that road, and I want to go there, but How did you feel when you decided in your family, in your community, how did you feel leaving? Did you feel supported when you left? Did you feel like you were going to be ostracized or exiled from your family for leaving and your community in Wales when you decided to come to U.S. and work? I'm going to take this back to my mother. And this might be a bit emotional. Mm, It's okay. But her marriage wasn't great. Mm -hmm. She didn't have the opportunity that I had. Mm. She didn't go to college. Mm. I mean... She was a farmer's wife. She did what she was expected to do. She literally married the farmer, not quite next door, but pretty close Mm. because that's what you did. So she married him and she didn't want that life for me, but she didn't know what life there could be for me. So she wanted me to stay within the community, but she didn't want me to feel trapped in a marriage or in a job that I couldn't get out of. She had to stay in the marriage because she did not have the means to earn a living. She didn't have options. She was stuck. And back then, you didn't get divorced. And my mother had me late in life. She was 44 when I was born. Oh, wow. So that throws a whole nother dimension into it. And the farming community in Wales, you know, you have to keep in mind, is 20 years behind the rest of society. Right. So you've got all that playing in. But yet she knew, obviously, but she loved her daughter and she wanted to make sure that I had opportunities. So even though she couldn't have the conversation with me, there was no internet. She didn't know about manufacturing, about an office. Nobody in my family had been to college. Nobody knew what automotive was about. We didn't even know the word, you know, was right. like, what, what right. is that? So I had to chart that path myself, knowing that emotionally she was there and psychologically she was there. And the one thing I will remember this my entire life, every time I made a job change, she would say to me, well, if it doesn't work out, you can always come back to the farm. And I used to laugh about it 
because I thought it was kind of funny. But imagine what she did was created safety. Psychological safety. She gave it to me without realizing it, without using those words. Right. She just meant it. Okay. If this job that she knew nothing about. Right. No concept. Didn't know anything about the U.S., about automotive, the jobs, the companies, nothing. If they failed, it's okay because I could always go back there. And that, again, helped Mm. fuel and nourish Mm. this drive. Now, that's wonderful. And speaking from somebody who didn't have that. I can see how important that is to have, you know, and to have her saying that not from a standpoint of guilt tripping you or wanting you to come home, but just providing you with safety just from her heart. Hey, you're my daughter. I love you. And if there's something that doesn't work out, you've always got a bed here and you've always got a warm food and we can start over. All right. Okay. We're going to go off on a little bit of a path. That's all right. Here's something that I don't believe I have ever said publicly before. One of the reasons that she did that is because I ran away from home when I was 17. Mm. What did that I was look in, like? I was in love. Mm. And I ran first away love? From, first real love, yes. I ran away from home and I lived with a boy and with his parents in a eh, not so nice part of town. Because I was in love and I was determined and you were not going to tell me what to do. I'm going. And my mother, as we talked about this over the years, she said that she regrets the day that she ever forced me to make a decision. Because she said, either you end the relationship with the boy or you get out and get on with it. What did I do? Got out and got on with it. you got to be very careful when you give people ultimatums. And she told me after that, she said, whatever you do, you always keep the welcome mat out on the door for your children, no matter what they do. So that was in the back of her mind, too. No, but I think that's really one of the parenting advices that I've been told a lot is don't ever ask a question that you're not ready for the answer. If it doesn't get answered, the same thing as you just said, right? So don't ask a question if one of the options of the answer is something you don't want to deal with, right? Right. So that's interesting. So how long until you were back with them after you moved out? I mean, it was a long time ago. I think it was about a year. And I didn't speak to my mother for over six months, which was awful. You know, it was awful for her. It was awful for me. Do you want to know how she enticed me to come home? Yes, I do. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this. So she said, you know that little MG midget sports car you've always wanted? I said, yeah. She said, it's yours. Just come home. Wow. So and then big, it was like big bribe MG midget sports. It was used. It wasn't a new one, but, yeah, but MG still. midget sports car life with boyfriend, which is now getting tough because we had no money. Right. right you're starting to see <laughs> the so timing the, was everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah. So I said, I come home and she goes, and you have to go back to college. I said, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. What a wonderful mom. What a wonderful mom. What did you learn in your time away and your time, especially when you didn't talk to your mom for six months, what did you learn and how were you different when you came back? I learned that life is tough, Art. I learned that life is tough and life with no money. You know, in Britain at the time, we were on the dole. Uh, on the, yeah, um, welfare. Assistance, welfare, yeah. And I was still going to a local college, but you know, I didn't go to a big fancy university. And it was just tough. It was tough. And I missed the support of my mother, even though my boyfriend's parents were very supportive. They were wonderful to me, but I didn't like it. Mm. (laughs) Life was too tough. 
But I think that fuels you, right? When you live life like that with no money, you're like, you know what? I'm getting out of this and I am never going to be back in this place again. Yeah, it's definitely very motivating, right? It's very motivating. Wow. Yeah, that is an aside, but a very interesting one. But I think it's important to understand like this transition for you of being willing to break the mold. And then you continued that. I mean, that's one, you know, and it started with breaking the mold of your community and family with the support of your mother in this case. Yeah. But then you've been doing that the rest of your life. So how did those early times of breaking the mold and feeling this desire inside you to live your life, to do it? And I say this too often, probably, but Joseph Campbell says to say a a hearty yes to your adventure, right? To your life. How did that continue to fuel you as you moved on? So you're going to university in Wales. You left this guy behind you. You got your blue MG. And then where did life take you from there? And most importantly, how did you keep listening to that? energy uprising, that expanding uprising energy in you, that this was your life. This is your vision. This is your purpose. This is your meaning. Like, how did you keep tapped into that? And how did that inform the rest of your life up to where you are now even? I think, you know, once you've done it once or twice, right, you say in those early years, like age 17, early 20s, my starting my career in my early 20s, you're forming who you are, your personality and trusting who you are as a person and knowing that you can break the mold, it's okay. I think one experience builds on another, builds on another. So I broke the mold of the farm girl. I broke right. the mold of a woman in the auto industry early on. Hey, Jan, and then, yeah. if I can interrupt you, you yeah, said yeah. something really interesting, and I just want to not lose it. You said, I learned I can break the mold and it's okay. Mm-hmm. How did you know it's okay? Who gave you permission to be okay? Oh, that's a good question. Because a lot of people, especially breaking the mold, we can break the mold, but then we wonder, is it okay? And you said, once I learned it's okay, how did you learn it's okay? I didn't have the fear of judgment. I mean, I didn't want to be judged negatively. Mm -hmm. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever does. But the drive in me was stronger than the fear Mm. of not doing it. So that that permission came from this uprising, expanding energy in you to drive, to do your life that was stronger than what other people might think about you for breaking the mold. Yeah. That's really cool. I just had to keep going. But then as my career evolved, you know, as well as I do, when you work for a tier one, you learn how to assimilate into their culture. So I learned to be what they wanted me to be. So there was obviously something in me that said, yes, you're a rule breaker, you're a mold breaker. But not to the point that I'm going to push the culture or the company so far as they're going to say, oh, to hell with you. You're out of here, you know? Right. Uh, So somehow always testing that boundary. And sometimes I would work for a culture that was more in line with my values, which was great. And other times I didn't, which wasn't so great. Then I left typically. Right. And how did you, I mean, because I think that's a boundary in the corporate world. I know that I experienced, and I think everybody in the corporate world experiences, if you're a senior executive, right? Like. How much change can I drive? How much can I live in alignment with my values in this company? And where is it too much? And then I have to, you know, I'm not going to be welcome and I need to move on. How did you make that judgment? How did you decide when it was time to leave? If it started to drain my energy too much, if I had to lose too much of myself, I mean, I can assimilate into a lot of cultures and I can tone it down. In fact, I was told once, I was told once that you're too much. You need to tone it down. (laughs) I can imagine that. I mean, being 
in the auto industry, you know, maybe it was in the 90s, 80s or 90s or even 2000s and being female and being passionate. I can imagine mm-hmm. that made some men around you uncomfortable, you know, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I was the first female non-engineer program manager for Bosch Brakes. Right. For the foundation brakes. Right. And of course, you know, program management was a position that engineers aspired to get yeah, into. Yeah, that's the next step. That was my yeah. first step out of engineering was program management. Yeah. And another slam, I came from friction. From the friction right. material. So right. in the caliper business, the friction guys are like, right. oh, right. the friction guys, right? Yeah. So I had all those slams against me, and I went into South Bend, Indiana, with a pack of Marlboro Lights, attitude, and like, look out, boys. <laughs> and some of them didn't care for that, probably too much. No, they didn't like that too much. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I love that you talked about that your energy, your uprising energy, your drive was stronger than the fear of other people. And then you said, if it gets to be too much, if it dampens that energy too much, if it's too out of alignment. And I'm questioning there too, like, can you be more specific on that? Like, what does that look like? Is it the feeling of just dreading coming to work? Or is it the feeling of like, you feel your life energy that you talk about this expanding energy starts Mm -hmm. to contract? How did you know when it's time to leave one culture and find something else? When people try to put me in a box, and put boundaries, really tight boundaries around me to tell me that I have to do things a certain way and crush that creativity. I live in that visionary, creative space. And good leaders today recognize that there are people like that. There are people who are maintainers who like to just stay the course. There are people who are analytical, who don't want anything to do with creativity. And great leaders have a complete mix of those kinds of skill sets and people on their team. Yes. But, you know, as I grew up in the industry, nobody really understood that was, this is the box. You are a program manager. You are in purchasing. You will do this. You will do it this way. You will report these numbers and you will like it. And Mm. I will review you every six months or every year. And if I like you, I will give you an increase. And if I don't, you're not going to get anything and you're probably done. If I felt those walls. Being in that box and getting a lot of, telling how to do things, not just what's desired, but how and how you have to be. And sort of the recipe was didn't leave you any space to grow for yourself. And then you said, okay, it's enough. And then I was done. I was out. How many of those changes did you make? How many times did you change companies in your career? Uh, Have you seen my LinkedIn profile? I've looked at it, but not that much detail. No, a lot. Because, and this is what we hear in the workplace today, why people leave is because companies don't promote people or give them opportunities to advance fast enough. And that's even 10,000 times magnified now to what it was when I was in the workplace. Yeah. And if people didn't give me that opportunity to move or expand my responsibilities and a recruiter called, you know the story, you take the call, the next thing you know, you're on a plane to Des Moines, Iowa, and you're head of Lean Sigma for Maytag, which actually happened. Wow. You know, it's interesting because like, I think about, I'm just reflecting on this now. The first job I had is a second job in automotive, but first job out of college, I co-opt as well. I can remember having a discussion with my boss at that company and, you know, what's your career plan? And I laid out my career plan and he said, Oh, no, no, you can't do that. And you know what came up for me was thank you for clarifying that I can't do that at this company. I will, yes. go, I will go look for another one. And in a few months I was somewhere else. Because he was clear, like, oh, that doesn't happen here. I said, okay, great. And that's not possible. I said, okay, I understand your limitations now, and I want to find mine. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yep. So that is really interesting point. 
that validates that. I never thought about that from my early on career change. So now very interesting. So how did that progress as you're going through the careers? And I'm really curious about the transition from the corporate world now, you know, following the same thing of breaking the mold, you know, that you were super respected, big leader, big company, making a lot of money. And then you decided to change careers. I think that as I look back, I didn't really have much of a vision for my life, to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest. And I wish I had developed more clarity of vision for my life earlier on. I knew I wanted more, but I didn't really put that together. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about my life and saying, this is the top of the mountain for me. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going. It was just the next job, the next opportunity. Oh, I'm going to go from a manager to a director. I'm going to do that. Let's go from a director to a senior director and there's more money and more responsibility. Oh, let's do that. Oh, now I'm going to be a VP. Oh, yeah, that's good. Let's do that. Right. Right. And I think, honestly, it was only when I got to a global VP role in my last corporate role, big team, 250-person global team, supply chain, including purchasing. It was great. It was a wonderful role. I really loved it. But as I sat in these staff meetings and my boss had a global staff meeting every Monday, and those meetings lasted almost all day long, and I thought, I've worked all my entire life to get here and sit in this room and listen to this, really, and to look at these PowerPoints. This is what it is, really. And there was so much wasted time, wasted energy, a little bit of toxic, not so much in my last company, but you've seen the toxic cultures over the years and the, the gamesmanship and the politicking and, you know, running into the CEO's office and the positioning. And I thought, oh my gosh. As I looked around me and we're starting to see the transition of the industry, we're starting to talk about EV adoption. I thought, you know what? There is no way that this industry is going to handle the transition to anything if this is the way we operate. Right. And then at this point, I'm in my early 50s. So I got dream job, dream house, dream car, right? Kid in a private school, everything, right? right? Right. Designer clothes, designer briefcase, the works art, everything I'd ever wanted, right? right? And then I thought, oh, I can't do this. And I started to think more about my home country and Wales and how I value my home country and what it's given me. And I want to be able to spend more time there. I want to be able to give back. I only have a small family left in Wales. My parents are long gone. But I wanted to spend a little bit of time with them. Yeah. I wanted more freedom on my time. I didn't want to have to ask you know, can I take vacation? Because even at a senior level, you've still got to do that. you still got yeah. a boss. Yeah. I didn't like that. And I thought, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to quit. And people thought I had lost my mind. Summing up that decision, it was more, yeah. I'll say, a, a lifestyle decision in a sense of like, I'm spending my life. A minute ago, you said, I never had the vision to look at the top of the mountain and see where right. I really wanted my life to go. Like, what would be the top of the mountain for me? But when I listen to you, and this answers the question I was going to ask you, you maybe realize that the top of the mountain isn't what's important. It's how you walk there every day. So you're sitting in this Monday meeting all day and saying, this is not how I want to use my days. This is not how I want to spend the time I have left on this planet. That's exactly right. The top of the mountain was not the biggest, grandest title, the biggest comp package, most visibility and recognition in the industry, which I had thought 
that that was the top of the mountain. Raising my hand. I was right there with you in that industry. Uh, And then when you realize that life is about so much more, like you say, it's the journey. And now I have this new mission driving me, right? It's like, okay, so you got an industry to change. How are you going to do that? Well, I don't know. I've never known exactly how to do any job I've walked into, but I'll tell you one thing. I'll figure it out. (laughs) No, but you know, that's such a key lesson. And then maybe I'll pause there for a second because I feel like, and maybe this is just my age or being a parent of three 20-somethings, teens and 20-somethings now. I feel like there's a lot of younger people that, oh, I can't do that until I figure it out. Yes. Right? And when I hear you say, hey, I've never known how to do a job that I took. Never. Never. And you've had so many jobs and you've been so successful, but you'll figure it out. And so now you said, okay, this industry is sucking the life out of me, but I love it. I want to change it. I'm on a mission to change it. I don't know how, but I'm going to jump in. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to jump in and figure out how I can change this industry and live a life along the way that is independent of whether I get to the top of the mountain or not or whatever that is. But my life becomes the journey of how to do that and spend more time with whales and my family and more integrated, more full life. Yeah. And then you had the courage to stop. Yeah. In the middle, like you said, the peak of everything, right? The earnings yeah. that you could sit there and you could fit the mold. If you were a mold fitter, you could fit that mold and you could have kept printing money and kept having status at a high level for at least another 15 years. Easy. Right. And you decided to stop. Yep. That's a lot of courage. What gave you the courage to do that at that point? We talked earlier about the energy when you feel the culture closing in on you. And then that flame inside of you starts to dampen, right? And I could feel that. And you mentioned in my intro that I love oat milk lattes, coffee and conversation. I'm not lying. I love, it's very important to me to have a little bit of conversation and a cup of coffee in the morning. I go to Starbucks here in Birmingham early. I'm an early morning person, 6, 6.30, right? And I started to stay longer there and you know, this is a mixed group of people. I think it's maybe one other person there in the auto industry. And they, they would joke about how late I would go to work because I didn't want to go in. Right. And when you start to feel like that, you know, I wasn't excited because the question is, and I hate this question out that people say, oh, what keeps you up at night? You know, everybody asks that question in, in the industry, auto today, industry right? especially. Yeah. They ask it, yeah. Wrong question. The question is, what gets you up in the morning? Bingo. That's the Boom. question. Boom. Right? Absolutely. That's Thank you. Want question. a better life? Ask a better question. So, you know, excitement wasn't there. And then right. I just said, you know what? Of course, I had a lifestyle that was supported by that corporate comp package. So now I had to scale back. So I probably made the decision about a year before I executed on it. Sure. I was slamming yeah. money away left and right. And yep. then my daughter, you know, she was younger. She was in her teens. And I said, look... No more trips to the mall for nice clothes. No more European vacations. And she looked at me and she said, Mom, we'll eat ramen noodles if we have to. You need to do this. That's awesome. Thank you, Gwen. Oh, makes me cry hearing that. That's amazing. That's awesome. And I think, I guess the message that I'm hearing here and I want to articulate for all of our listeners is that This life force, this energy, this fire that's inside us, keeping that burning is the most important thing, actually, if we have the option to do so, right? And a lot of us in this country, we have the option to do that, right? And getting it, like selling ourselves out, 
letting that flame be extinguished for a comp package, which a lot of us do because it's logical and it makes sense in the Excel spreadsheet and we have mortgages to pay and kids to put through college. But then we become like Benjamin Franklin said, you know, we become dead at 25 and wait for our body to catch up at 65. And that's really amazing that you had the courage to follow that, right? And to really take it. So when was that? How many years ago was that, that you made the decision and then it was a year later that you quit. So you made the decision yeah. in what year? What made month? the decision six years ago and then I quit five years ago. Five years and ago. And then I went to Wales to get my bearings and then I came back and I started How long the were you in Wales? I'll call oh, just your... like three weeks for the first okay. time. But now okay. I have made a commitment to myself that I go to Wales for a month every year. And I have done that two years in a row and I booked my trip for 2024. It's already booked. And it's a combination of walking on the beach, walking on the cliffs. It's spending time with the Global Welsh Organization, with Welsh businesses. It's visiting friends. It's visiting family. And I do a little bit of work when I'm there, but it's a much scaled back schedule. And it recharges me and it refuels me. And I absolutely love it, Art. And I'm so happy that I made that decision. And I have more energy now, I think, than I did decades ago, certainly than I in the corporate world, because I wake up every morning. Now, I'm 58 and I am like fighting fit. And when people ask me about retirement, I feel hurt. I feel, what? Retirement? What is that? Right. A point when you hit an age or you get yeah. a pot of money. And then what do you do? You go to Naples, play golf, buy right. a condo and die. Yeah, exactly. Not for That's me. That's not thank life. You. That's not purpose. And you know, here's the thing. I think everybody idolizes that. Nobody likes it when they get there. Yeah. Right? That's so true, right? And then yeah. that's why I was watching this really interesting TED talk from a doctor who studies retirement now in retirement. That's what he's doing. And he said there's three stages to retirement vacation, which lasts about six months, depression, which can last from six months to two or three years. And then the third stage is a branch. It's a why. There's two different possibilities. Purpose, meaning, fire, this energy rising inside you, doing what you feel really purposeful about, or death. All right? And that's it. And so it's, you know, if we are too identified with our title, with our prestige, if you had stayed in that role for a long time, just telling yourself, well, I'm just going to do this and pack money away so I can go to Naples and retire, probably what happens a few months after you retire is that you're dead. Yeah or a few years, right? Because you didn't find a way to feed this light. The light was put out for so many years, so long that you don't find a way to fuel it, you know, like to keep that ember burning, right? It yes. needs nourishment. We have to feed that ember to keep it burning. And I can see on your face right now, it is burning in you, Jad. It's great to see. And I think that's my mission on Life in Transition is to help people to make that transition where their ember is burning, where their flame is on, where they are doing what it is that juices them. And that point, when someone says retirement, you say, what is that? I'm living a great balanced life. I'm around my kids. I'm around my friends. I'm serving my community. And it feels great. Why would I stop doing what I'm doing? Right? Whatever that is. And I think that's so much healthier way to look at the second half of life. It that. is. I think that's one of the reasons why you and I connected is because you, too, have the option to go back into significant corporate role with a massive compact. You could do that tomorrow. Right? Yes. But you choose not to. Yeah. You have chosen this path. I have chosen this path. I have been tempted along the way. A couple of offers have come along the way, and I have said no. And as difficult as sometimes those decisions are like, well, you swallow hard, right? Yeah. 
But then after the decision is made, it just strengthens me. Are they just ready yeah. to just like, yeah. okay. Because yeah. you're living on your purpose, which is really yeah. phenomenal, Jen. And it's really exciting yeah. to see. It's really an honor to sort of be a little bit of a part of. I'm like a little satellite <laughs> orbiting around you a little bit in, in this <laughs> industry now. You mentioned that if you could change something going back, that you would maybe have a broader vision for your life from the beginning and not just yeah. sort of. I'll say survival. It's a high level of survival, but sort of survival. Like I need to make more money and more comp and more higher title because it comes with more comp and more responsibility. And and you would have a little bit broader vision. Is there anything else that you would, when you look back specifically in this ongoing transition that you're in of mold breaker, is there anything else that you would tell your younger self? Is there anything else you would do differently if you looked back now to the 17-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old Jan? Yeah, I would have, even though I was never shy, but there are certain things that I wouldn't say because I didn't feel like it was my place to. Interesting. And you'll see that a lot of women feel that way, particularly if you're in a conference room with men mm-hmm. and you get that inner circle of guys that the CEO has got like his three or four favorites and they tend to dominate the discussion and being concerned about putting my voice forward. A classic example, decision to close a plant. I thought it was absolutely the right decision to close this plant. But by the time the conversation got to me, everybody had convinced everybody to keep it open, right? And so I went along with it as much as I hate to admit it. Yeah. So this is a place where you put a little bit of dampener on your ember. You knew something else was true, but to fit in, to join the club and not be so much an outsider. You, you yeah. went along with it. Yeah, I did. I did. And there's a lot of people that do that every single day course, in business yeah. because the company controls our paycheck, which controls our life. It's that simple. And that's what we think. But a greater lie has never been told. Yeah. Company controls the paycheck from that company. Yes. And I lived in fear of that so much. But there's a lot of other companies out there. There's yeah. a lot of other ways to make a living. And it's hard to believe that when we all have. I'll speak for myself. When I had imposter syndrome and think maybe I didn't belong in this boardroom, right? Then I think because of that, no other company is going to hire me at the same level of comp. And then I give that company so much power. Yes. But it's actually not the case, right? The world is a big and an abundant place and there's so much that we can do. So that lie that I told myself kept me stuck for a long time and living in fear and anxiety for a long time. How many people do you think are out there that think that way? The corporate I mean, world. a lot. I mean, everybody. Corporate automotive, I think it's really high. 75%, 80%. I mean, Easy. there are a few people that this is their passion. This is their ember and they're driving for that. Most other people, when you look at the grind that the automotive industry is, you either love it for what it's about or you're there because of fear. Because yeah. you think that you only can get that paycheck and that's the only way you can live. Because it's, sorry to say, it's too dehumanizing otherwise. Yeah. It'll suck the life out of you. Otherwise, if you let it, right, if you believe that lie, I mean, it it drove me to, I was eventually diagnosed with a general anxiety disorder, right, and chronic fatigue syndrome, right, at the height of my game, because I believed that lie too strongly, which a lot of people do. And I love the podcast episodes that you've produced already. You know, if people out there in the corporate world, they should definitely listen to it because you talk about things that we don't talk about. Like Especially the men don't talk about, right? Right. That international travel schedule. And I remember my last job, it was kind of expected that when you landed from Europe, that you would go into the office the same day. You know, what craziness is that? Because somehow you were considered weak if you didn't do that. That's right. 
That's right. Really, you should be going straight home and spending time with your family and and recovering (laughs) and recharging, right? But no, you were expected to be, you know, the tough one, right? You expected to go into the office and then work a full day and stay there till six or whatever or seven or whatever. You know, these are the things that creep into the culture art that you and I, I believe, are on a mission to break down. Yeah, no, it needs to change. It's not sustainable and it's difficult to see, but it starts on two halves. When I'm talking to somebody, I always say it starts with you. You have to set the boundaries as an individual because companies, especially public companies, they just want more. That's their job. And you have to set the boundaries. On the same hand, if if we can help companies to see that they can actually perform at a much higher level if they have a good culture and can keep people in the industry, can keep people in the company and they can do it sustainably. I mean, how much does a company lose when they lose somebody like you that's got 25 years in the industry and has passion and has leadership skills and talent? How much do they lose? I mean, it's hard to calculate, but it's very, very expensive. Right. So of course we got to work on that from both sides and I don't have the solution. And I'm so glad that you're working on it in your way. I'm working on it more on the individual side now than the company yes. side. I did a lot of consulting the last year and a half as well, which is also fun and meaningful. And it's not my ember like it is for you. No, that's great. And I think the one thing you would do differently looking back and you would tell other people to do is not be afraid to speak up even more. Like if you know something's right, not be afraid to say it, period it, of whatever trust, the consequences are. Trust who you are. You know, the. 2023 Merriam-Webster word of the year is authenticity. And this brings it right back to the start of this discussion with authentic leadership. Be authentic. Don't be afraid to be who you are. Now, that doesn't mean that you say every single conceivable thought that comes into your brain. Of course not. You have to be respectful and you have to consider other people's feelings. Of course, all of that. Yes. Yes. But at the end of the day, stay true to who you are. Yeah. People aren't going to like you anyway, so you might as well like yourself. You right. cannot control what others no. think and feel about you. The only yeah. thing that you have control over is yourself. And maybe that's something, too, that I wish I had learned many, many, many years mm. ago, mm. trying to influence others, wanting to be like, yeah. and you can't. You yeah. could control you. That's it. Yeah. No, thank you. That's really good advice. If you hadn't made this transition, and I'm going to focus on this last one now, but I mean, it's really the whole thing with being a mold breaker. But if you hadn't made this corporate transition, what do you think your life would look like today? Say you stayed in the corporate. You decided, hey, this paycheck is good. I can hang in there for another 15 years. What would your life look like today, five, six years later now? I think there's a possibility, quite frankly, that I'd be an alcoholic. That's a very tough thing to admit. Mm-hmm. In my younger days, certainly there was a lot of drinking. And it's very much part of the Welsh culture, pub culture. And it's part of automotive culture, too. Part of automotive culture, too, yeah. And after my daughter was born, certainly I didn't drink anywhere nearly as much as I used to. But as she's grown and moved on to college, she's not at home. So I don't have that. And I think if I was miserable in the role, then it's quite possible I would use alcohol to numb that feeling. Quite possible. Which is terrifying to admit But there it is, you know, we're talking about being authentic. I'm not going to shy away from it. Yeah. No, and I think that's so brave. And I think that's so true. St. Thomas said that if we bring forth what is within us, it will save us. If we don't, it will destroy us. Right. So if you're not feeding your ember, it's going to gnaw at you in a way that you have to numb it somehow. And that's what most, you know, my addiction was working, was workaholism. That's how I didn't follow my ember, didn't nourish the energy that was inside me. But there's a lot of other ways to do that. Whether it's doom scrolling the internet or alcohol or drugs, or there's a lot of ways to do it or food, right? But that's really brave of you to say it. And I think it's just so important to come back to like, it's so important to follow our heart, follow our ember, to do what energizes us. And then 
if you have energy and health, everything else will work itself out. Yes. Right? And that's the hard thing I have to remind myself. Do you think that transitions will ever stop? No, it's part of who I am. I can't. I'm already starting to think about, okay, are we going to sell this business at some point in time? What are we going to mm-hmm. do? What's mm-hmm. next? And you've seen my business journey in the time that we've known each other. I started the business, then I started the podcast. Now, the podcast has a life of its own because now I do podcasts for other companies doing right. internal podcasts. So there's that. And now I'm emceeing investor conferences. And, you know, and then there's something else and something else. And I'm thinking, oh, I like that. I'm going to try that. Again, right. you know, we offer a lot of these things like podcasting. I didn't know anything about podcasting when I started. Right. Not one single thing. Now I actually give presentations and keynotes at podcasting conventions. Who would have ever thought? Wow. <laughs> Wow. That's awesome. No, but, and that's a bad get following your ember, right? See where it takes you. Find the next step and be willing to have the courage to follow that and see what happens. I have two final questions, Jan. First one is if you could give one tool, one piece of advice to your listeners, to the listeners, to our listeners today, that has been absolute key for you to, I'm going to sum it up this way, living an authentic life that you're living now that would help someone else to live an authentic life, what would that one thing be? That if there's one thing that they could start doing that they could take away, and now I'm somewhere coming back to my automotive roots, like what's one thing that you could actually do today that can make a difference? But what would you offer? You have to listen to yourself. You have to know yourself. And that takes time. It takes time and attention. Mm-hmm. Some people use meditation. There are many different ways. I don't. I wish I did, actually. For me, I just did it the hard way. It took decades to figure it out. But I think that you've got to listen to yourself. You've got to know your values. And there are very simple values exercises that you could do, but you've got to narrow it down and narrow it down. And you've got to know what's important to you. That's Mm -hmm. it. Know what's important to you. Not what you think you should be or what you think the corporate entity wants of you. What's important to you in your life? That would be it. That last one. That's awesome. No, that's so true. And then because that's what I'll, Feed the ember. That's what will feed this uprising energy and keep you going on the journey. And then the last question I have, Jan, is where can listeners find out more about you? What projects you have going on? What websites would you like to put out there? Or, you know, where can they find out more about you and follow your very interesting story? Well, I always love connecting with people. That's part of my passion. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn at Jan Griffiths, or you can reach me through the website at gravitasdetroit.com. And the podcast is the Automotive Leaders Podcast. And I have a book coming out, which will be published in February 2024. It's about authentic leadership, but I really showcase some of the guests that have been on my podcast with some tips at the end of each chapter to help leaders initiate that dialogue and conversation with their teams about culture change and authentic leadership. So that's tremendously exciting. Again, never done that before, Art, but we're going right? to figure out no, what that's, that's all about. That's very exciting. That's <laughs> very exciting. Well, Jan, I really am grateful for you and the spot you have in my life and for taking the time to be with me today. I love your authenticity. I love your willingness to share and for the benefit of others. And I love that you, for a long time, have been really keeping your ember burning, keeping your energy moving up and out instead of letting it like and noticing when it's starting to contract and taking action instead of letting yourself become numb to it. Right. I'm really inspired by that. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Art. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait to hear what action you are taking. Connect with me on LinkedIn or our website, 
lifeintransition.online and let me know. Let a friend know too. It could be a huge encouragement to them and keep you on the track. Thank you so much for joining me today. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And it would mean a lot to me if you left a review and shared this episode with a friend. If you want to learn more about me and what I do when I'm not podcasting, please visit me at artblanchford.com. Thank you for listening. Together, let's make the most of life in transition.